0: Paramedic 43, District
1: 1, Engine 51, Response, Cardiac Arrest.
0: Hello, everybody. Welcome again to another edition of the MCHD Paramedic Podcast. My name is Dr. Casey Patrick, and joining us today is our Medical Director, Dr. Rob Dixon. Good afternoon. And running the board, and making us sound great as always zandy adams and today after the rain stopped we did learn today here at mchd we don't have a soundproof room yes and, we need to
1: we need to upgrade that doctor well
0: i, I don't we can
1: just wait till it stops raining and th- that would be the easy solution yeah. that would be the cheap solution but, or we could get a custom podcasting booth built in your office
0: i'll let you as the uh higher ranking official here <laughs> i'll let you go to bat for that one i'm i'm good with waiting till it stops raining but we did find that when the rain hits my office windows here at the central offices that the mics picked the rain up very well, so we were delayed well. this morning. So we're uh, recording in the afternoon, and we're going to try to tackle uh, one of the most, if not the most, common complaints that we see in in EMS and emergency medicine. It covers wide ranges of potential injuries and diagnoses, and that's the dreaded fall. And how do we get here? I, I think that we see and review tons of fall cases in you know numerous for numerous reasons here uh, in the Department of Clinical Services, and. It, kind of made me step back and think, we learn about syncope and we learn about seizure. We learn about trauma, traumatic injuries from falls, but we really don't take the fall as a specific complaint and think about how to approach it because it's really it's our job is to figure out which one of these falls are high risk. Which one of these have the can't can't miss features? So we're gonna stick to basic ground level falls for discussion's sake. No roofs, cliffs, Christmas lots, or ladders. It's not a trauma discussion. We see this, you know, we see these ground level falls so often we almost become numb to the high risk potential of very few of these and some of the diagnostic caveats that we run into. So we're not gonna cover every single possible injury or diagnosis, but we're hopefully gonna provide a framework um, that that you can use when you get these, because again, it's so very broad. If we don't have a framework to work with, uh, you're really sort of throwing, you know, throwing darts and that's what we, right. that's what we want to try to avoid.
1: And I think this is the, the quiz essential, uh, EMS and ED specialists. This is what makes us specialists, right? We take the very, very broad, complicated patients and try to come up with a reasonable differential diagnosis based on the history, the physical exam, the surroundings and what the most likely, and then come up with the most likely diagnosis. So I think this is super important. And I guess when we start, I'd ask you, Casey, you know, I, when I encounter these patients, I asked myself two main questions, you know, what are the pertinent injuries from the fall and why did the patient fall?
0: And I think sometimes that's the second question is the important one,
1: right? right? Because,
0: right. because patients don't call with syncope or seizure or sepsis or dehydration or bleeding, right? They call with, I fell. And I think sometimes newer practitioners tend to focus on, hey, you know, my knee hurts or I fell. But the more important question sometimes is that second question, that is why did the patient fall? So we need to get question one answered first, and that is what are the injuries? And I think we all start there, and we're going to talk about number two as we move along. But every patient needs a trauma survey, a trauma exam done done very thoroughly. So that answers question one, one, right? What are the, what are the injuries from the fall? And so the easiest group, I think for us to start with, when we try to create this framework is going to be the mechanical falls run on a patient, 62 years old, walking through their living room and fell down. And so what questions do you ask? You ask, what are the injuries from the fall and why did the patient fall? And you, you know, where do you hurt ma'am? Examine the knee, the ankle, the elbow, whatever. Whatever
1: lots of uncovering and palpating. I think we miss more injuries because we don't properly physical, we don't take a look at the at the patients what they're complaining of. Many times you will review charts and it's because we got off track and we were focused on something else and then we never got back around to what the patient actually said. Like my knee is really hurting. We should examine their knee.
0: Yeah, I think uncovering is very important. I think palpating is very important. And I would throw in number three, ranging. ranging. I think, yeah, I, think, that's I, think good point. I think range of motion is important. So again, what, what are the injuries? That's, we get that from uncovering, palpating, and examining. Um, And then why did the patient fall? And you ask the patient, you ask their, their spouse, their loved one, their family member, and they say, we got the, we got the rug here underneath the coffee table. And I was going to pick up the remote control and got my foot caught in the rug and fell. Mm -hmm. So I think you've answered in the, in the mechanical group, it's, it's a pretty simple one to answer. You know, the patient tripped, the patient slipped, the patient, kick the parking block. I think the parking block is... Parking
1: blocks are deadly. They're 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 deadly. They're deadly.
0: So you concentrated on number one. You know question number two. You know why they fell. Again, your trauma survey is going to be really, really essential. And don't just ask, are you okay? Right? I mean, I think sometimes that's... I think we don't use our our clinical right. acumen or, or our the, clinical exam
1: skills enough these have a high risk of being minimized right we walk in they go oh, i had a little fall you go oh are you okay okay good and we kind of let it go there and we don't necessarily explore why the patient fell what what are the possible injury patterns we can see here so we talk about different patterns injury patterns i'd like to talk about a couple specifically um you know always remember uh, apply a rule we use uh, kind of a, a modified Nexus criteria here for cervical spine clearance and cervical spine examination. Always check for, uh, you know, as Dr. Patrick said, inspect, palpate, range of motion, and neurovascular status. What's the neurovascular status of their of their extremity that they're complaining of? Um, and then talk about you, the therapy for these. You know, how do we treat these patients? Yeah. So,
0: so Dr. Dixon hit on a couple things. I I want to. Just sort of reiterate, you know, cervical spine clearance. Again, we use a sort of a modified combination of Nexus and Canadian C spine here Correct. at MCHD. I don't want to get into a discussion on the on the exact uh, detailed points of the clinical decision rules for cervical sp- spine clearance. I'm sure you listeners out there have variations on this, but again, use your rules. Um, we know that these decrease the rate of cervical spine immobil- mobilization that's needed. This increases patient comfort, decreases cost. There's go on for an hour about C-spine clearance and and resource utilization. Use your rule and make sure that that you're using it properly. It's gonna be cookbook, that's the point. And again, a clinical decision rule is just that. It's not the clinical decision uh, law or the clinical decision commandment, right? If you have a bad feeling, you always have that ability to say, you know what? I know yeah, this a doesn't fit. Put a, put a collar on them.
1: Yeah. Or if you're worried, I think a, a very common one we see in our QI process is cognitive impairment. It's very difficult to pick up on people's cognitive impairment early on. So if you suspect cognitive impairment, put a collar on them. Yeah, it's not they, just, I mean, when it's... That's what that's we miss, right? We miss drunks and little old folks that are cognitively impaired that we maybe didn't pick up enough on that maybe, you know, aren't aware enough to tell us, yeah, my neck hurts.
0: It's easy, It's easy when the when the bottles of wine are in the floor, right? But when, right. when the patient is 84 and you think, are they demented, are they not? There's no family around. Um, there's not a good story. If you're unsure, err on the side of caution,
1: Right, I agree. for sure.
0: And that leads into neurovascular status pretty nicely because one of the components of most or all cervical spine rules are gonna be, is there any neuro deficit? And I think that not just with cervical spine fractures, but really with any fracture, potential is there for neurovascular injury. Now, it's going to be much less likely in your finger fracture than it is in your proximal humerus or your proximal tibia. It's going to the elbow where there's, you know, proximity of neurovascular supply. But again, I think habits are important when examining fall patients because they're going to sneak up on you and you're going to see hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of these, these runs, these calls. So make it, make it your, you know, just kind of your habit that if if the ankle hurts, that you're checking, you know, sensation below the injury. You're checking pulses or capillary refill uh, below the injury. I think I think that's that's really important. Moving on to some other sort of, I, I think, core aspects of treating traumatic injuries with falls is don't forget don't forget pain meds and, and pain control adjunct. Um, you know, if somebody's got a contusion or a, or a bruise or a potential fracture, you know, treat the pain appropriately. Elevate, ice. If you have uh, splinting capabilities, splints, slings, those sort of things. Those are those are important to offer, important to use. One of the big ones that I wanted to to throw in here from the traumatic fall, ground level fall, especially in our elderly folks, as we get osteoporotic, lose our calcium uh, as we get older, is is hip injuries. I think this is one when we talk about ground level falls that we see probably the most often, and that's quote unquote hip fractures. And I just wanted to just do a quick aside on on hip injuries and kind of how they look and, and what we suspect even just by visual exam. And first and foremost, you know, hip fracture is really a little bit more of a, a layman's term and not exactly anatomically correct because hip fractures are actually proximal femur fractures and they kind of come in two types. And that's going to be your femoral neck fracture, which is more proximal. And then if you get a little, little more distal, you have um, intertrochanteric uh, femur fractures. From our standpoint, from, you know, an EMS or a, or a pre-hospital setting, uh, they don't, you know, we're going to check neurovascular status. We're going to keep that patient still. We're going to treat their pain and, and and get them, you know, get them to the hospital as quickly as we can. Uh, but how do these look? Classically femoral neck, intertrochanteric femur fractures are going to be shortened and externally rotated. So Your toes are going to be pointed outward is the way that I think of those. And then sometimes, especially in patients with prosthetic hips those are kind of the most commonly ones that we see dislocated that's where there's not necessarily a fracture but the ball of the femur is out of the acetabulum those are going to be shortened as well but they're going to be often internally rotated and again x-rays are going to give us the final answer here there's always exceptions to that rule but those are those are one of the ones that we see see pretty commonly what are some of the what are some of the things that you Consider that you look for in high risk falls.
1: You know some of the things that I consider is what's the status of the patient. You know what's their social situation. Do they live alone? What's their cognition? What's their ability to to call back or to to summon us if if they need assistance and don't want to go to the hospital with us initially? I'm very very wary of. I always take a history of any blood thinners and remember the blood thinners really capitergrill or the super aspirin that a lot of these patients are on it can be as dangerous is a patient on Warfarin for delayed, su- either immediate or delayed subdural. So you really have to be aware of any antiplatelets or anticoagulants at the patient. So I always take a very good history of that. Um, one of the other things is is patient comorbidities, substance abuse particularly, and any impairment that may mask that, right? So the subdurals, uh, the signs and symptoms early uh, can be very vague. And this is quite quite frequently, <sighs> Mistaken for some type of intoxication or substance. And so these patients are just a very, very high risk group that I'd always encourage transport on. Um, another one that I don't think we think about as much is pregnant patients. Even a mild trauma can cause maternal fetal transmission of, of blood and can uh, autoimmunize women. So uh, the vast majority of falls, even minor falls, warrant transportation in a uh, pregnant woman. And we always had to, we had a piece, listen to Dr. Weinstein's really good piece on non accidental trauma, right? We always have to be on on the lookout for these uh, suspicious patterns, suspicious bruising that she went over. And I won't get into that, but it was a really, really good podcast on a very, very important topic The EMS providers and ED providers, we need to be thinking about in every child, non accidental trauma. And then of course you have to look at your physical exam, right? Beware those abnormal bottle signs. You know, they're going to give you a clue and lead you down a diagnostic pathway. Um, when we talk about, let's say the patient doesn't have significant signs of significant trauma and we get onto our next question, the why? why did you fall? How do you, how do you approach that, Casey? Well, I think
0: one of, the, one of the problems we run into or one of the problems that we, that we see in reviews that we run reviews that we do and we look we look through is that the patient has no trauma and they don't have any pain in their elbow or their knee or their hips not shortened they're up walking around and you're you're kind of done right that I think that's where sometimes we don't take that second step and say what were the injuries from the fall well there may not be any injuries from the fall but the issue may be why the patient fell in the first place so we got to go back to question one you're not finished when there's no obvious trauma So again, look for those red flags that Dr. Dixon just talked about. Make sure the patient has a clear reason for falling. Again, this is going to create for us in our framework, hopefully, two clear groups, two major groups. And the first one is the mechanical falls. So I remember tripping. I remember getting pushed, slipping. You've looked them over. You've ranged them. You've done neurovascular status. You've said, you know, are you on clopidogrel or Plavix or Coumadin or Xarelto or any of the antiplatelets, blood thinners? And the answer has been no, because you're doing a good assessment. You've thought about things like domestic abuse, child abuse, even, even elder abuse. Again, I think this is one I've seen, uh, definitely a handful in my career of young women who were battered and had repeated presentation for quote unquote falls. So you've done a good, you've done a good look there. You don't see any high risk red flags and you're ready to ask question. Number one, what's the injuries for the fall? or what, excuse me, what's the reason for your fall? And in this situation, it's a really important question to answer. It may be more important than the fall itself. And I think that's, that's something that we really want to reiterate and sort of drive home today. Um, So does the patient remember the fall or not? I think that's a really, really good place to start. So you don't have any traumatic injury. Why did you fall? I slipped. Okay, you're done. No traumatic injury. Why did you fall? I don't remember. And I think that is that is one where you need a trauma survey plus a further exploration of why.
1: Right, Because that evokes a different differential diagnosis, right? So fall where my legs gave out, I was weak, um, I don't remember, something like that. Can you go over the differential for that? Because that kind of brings us to the, the this, your second question, the meat of the second question there, why?
0: So fall with loss of consciousness, amnesia, or just gave out. Again, I kind of grouped those three together. We need to think about, again, these are big, broad groups, but I I think some of these questions are fairly easy to answer with a little bit of exam, a little bit of questioning. And that's going to be syncope, seizure, stroke, particularly posterior stroke. And we'll talk more about that in a second. Dehydration, anemia, uh, sepsis, arrhythmia, and bleeding. And again, I'll run through those again. and We'll talk about those a little bit, um, the high points of each one, you know, syncope and seizure. And again, we see those very commonly syncope and seizure, neither remember the fall. Uh, posterior circulation stroke, and we'll, we'll touch on that in a second, so I won't go into it now. Uh, dehydration or volume loss, diarrhea, vomiting, coming out both ends. I stood up after I got off the toilet and I went down. Very, you know, not uncommon. Anemia or bleeding, you know, I've had dark stools for the last week and I'm on Plavix and I got up off the toilet and passed out. Sepsis, again, very common complaint, but with sepsis, let's say you've had fever, cough, been weak for four days. Poor PO intake. Again, stand up off the rocking chair to go go to bed. Pass out. So it may not be a presentation of pneumonia and sepsis. It may be a present. The presentation may be I fell out of my rocking
1: chair. Right. So I think I think this really is is a cool part of EMS. Right. We get called for a fall with a broken arm and ultimately diagnose septic shock with that broken arm. Is where Dr. Patrick's going with this wide, wide, wide differential for that question of. Why did you fall?
0: Or, or lastly, um, arrhythmia, right. the last one on the list. So you fell, broke your arm, you put the monitor on, the heart rate's 155, you feel the pulse and it's irregular, and you went from a fall with a broken arm to new onset atrial fibrillation with rapid response. So consider past medical history and age. That's going to give you a good, you know, good starting point for what could the disease process be. An 80-year-old syncope isn't really vasovagal in my mind you can correct me if
1: i'm, if I'm getting I'm, wrong. I'm getting chest pain because you said that well we love, we right? love because people love to love it. evoke that but but they have not considered the other differential and you, he uses a, a mnemonic it was uh, taught to us by one of our esteemed uh residency faculty and and i i think of it i actually stole this from dr patrick is two flavors of, of syncope syncope plus so that syncope plus some subjective or objective criteria that lead us down that diagnostic pathway i.e syncope with a severe headache subarachnoid syncope in an 80 year old with severe belly or back pain triple a syncope in a 23 year old who missed her period that has low severe low abdominal pain maybe some spotting right ectopic that that information leads us down with palpitations right arrhythmia right then you got everybody else so You got Syncope Plus, and then you got this everybody else group that was done, passed out, and now fine. My view in that group, lots of killers in the formal group, we agree. There's only one killer in this other group, and it's not vasovagal, right? It's dysrhythmia, right? right? That's what we're looking for. And so that leads you, I think, to your very clear next point that every one of these Syncope patients deserves a 12 lead. I
0: think that's a rule. If you don't take anything else out of the podcast, Uh, absolutely. Every patient that has a fall with LOC, amnesia with just gave out i think warrants an ekg absolutely uh, to to, to get at you know what's the rhythm and if we don't look for these things we're not going to find them and if you want to go back to one of the very first episodes of the mchd podcast and get a little more on the craps mnemonic and and syncope uh hit hit back to the beginning of the uh the episode list and uh take a listen right i was very nervous on that one much more so than what's <laughs> more so than now that was five or six months ago and it was uh my my abdominal muscles were tightened for the, <laughs> the entire time i couldn't even breathe um you know ask uh, history is going to be really important in these patients so ask the loved ones the spouses the the kids the grandkids you know what was going on what was what was grandma or grandpa doing beforehand was there an aura seizure was it withstanding could you know could it be an orthostatic event from dehydration yeah. from bleeding did it happen with the blood draw with urination there's there's a whole host of things was there palpitations was there a plus mm-hmm. uh, with the syncope like dr dixon said uh, look for oral lesions uh, with with seizures uh, can be can be a, an important exam finding what medicines are the patient on they may not remember what happened but if you look at the med list and see phenytoin or dilantin uh capra um you know, any of the long list of uh, seizure meds that, that can clue you in. Ask about recent illness. Um, has the patient had vomiting, diarrhea? Um, could there be a, a reason for them to be dehydrated? Did they work in the in the yard all day long, 100 degrees like it's been here for the last couple of weeks? Recent fever, recent cough. Is there a reason for them to have pneumonia, sepsis uh, for some reason? Miss Dr. Dixon mentioned uh, menstrual history in females of a childbearing age I mean ectopic pregnancy is on is on that list of syncope plus plus. and again don't ignore your vital signs we said that once we'll say it again make sure you're you're looking at heart rate you're looking at blood pressure because that's that's going to be again key and if you're you know if, if somebody has a pressure of 80 or a heart rate of 120 or 130 something else is going on you may not know what it is but it's for sure there uh, just really quick to touch on uh, posterior strokes I mentioned that earlier I just wanted to do a quick couple minute or less sort of discussion on posterior strokes. We talk a lot about stroke here at MCHD and we're uh, active in in trying to get our uh, large vessel occlusions to our stroke centers as quickly as possible for thrombectomy and we think about facial droop and slurred speech and arm and leg weakness and those are classically anterior strokes, anterior circulation being middle, middle cerebral artery, anterior cerebral artery strokes, all originating off of the carotid artery. Uh, posterior strokes are going to be from the vertebral basilar system located more posteriorly, hence the name. And the system, the symptoms can be drastically different from anterior strokes.
1: Right. And I always think of these, I mean, this is a very, very difficult topic, but I always think of it in very clear terms, which is the, the, the anterior circulation. Is Dr. Patrick, that's your thinking, feeling, um, kind of higher functions. And the posterior circulation is your dog brain, right? It's your awakeness, alertness, and swallowing. So when I think of of signs or subjective or objective findings of posterior stroke, I think of the five Ds of the posterior circulation. So dizzy or vertigo, right? That's a sense of motion when none exists, right? You feel like you're spinning, right? You feel like you're in motion, but in fact, you're not so... Vertigo or dizzy, diplopia or double vision, any complaint of double vision or findings on exam of double vision or bizarre nystagmus. So dizzy, vertigo, diplopia, dysarthria, inability to, to pronunciate, get your speech out. dysphagia, difficulty swallowing or dysmetria, limb ataxia of either the trunk, the upper extremities or the lower extremities, right? They can't, they can't walk right. They're walking funny. Uh, They may report walking into walls, things like that, bumping into things, have unexplained bruises. So think of those five D's, right? Because those are the main functions of that posterior. I have one more, which is just kind of, I can't say it on the radio, but it's just goofy. Sometimes these patients aren't frankly completely obtunded, but they're just sometimes bizarre. Mm -hmm. And you're trying to sort out, is this the most common misdiagnosis of this thing, right? Is some type of toxin or psych problem, isn't it? We, yes. we read close cases or we have our own cases and where we miss the diagnosis of posterior stroke. It's because we blamed it on something that it could never be, right? Because an, a posterior stroke, whenever a patient has any of those posterior symptoms, the five Ds, so dizzy or, or uh, vertigo, diplopia, dysarthria, dysphagia, or dysmetria, any of those, right? In an acute setting, i.e., they were perfectly fine, now they are perfectly not fine. That's a stroke until you prove it otherwise, posterior stroke. It has to be on your differential. Nothing else acts like that. Toxins don't act like that. They, you smoke the marijuana, I guess, and then you feel dizzy. Um, but, you know, it just doesn't act like that. So anytime you see something that's described as that acute onset, you have to keep posterior circulation stroke in your differential.
0: And I would, I would throw in just, you know, the way that I think about this is where does the posterior circulation, where does it supply? It supplies the cerebellum and the occipital lobe. And the cerebellum is speech and balance and equilibrium the occipital lobe is vision so if you think about where those where that vasculature supplies it helps you think about those five d's and i would add in uh you know the diplopia is truly double vision it's not blurred vision so i asked them i kind of asked them specifically whether they see one or two if they say it's a little blurry that doesn't quite uh, ring the bell as loudly for me. Right. And, you know, these are really tough. Posterior circulation strokes are tough. I don't put this in here to make, you know, this is a hard diagnosis when you have imaging and when you have a couple hours on your hand like we do in the emergency department. From a pre-hospital standpoint, it's really tough. I think we just wanna just hit on it to keep it in our in our differential diagnosis. Um, we're approaching our time here. I wanna hit on one more thing before we wrap it up and that is the falls and refusals. And I think this is probably the area from a medical director, EMS medical director standpoint that we see falls the most often. And that is the patient fell down and now they're back up on their feet and they don't wanna to go to the hospital. So first of all, we gotta assess these these patients' capacity. Do they have the capacity to refuse transport? Um, and if they do, and if they're awake and alert and they're not intoxicated, uh, we've gotta warn them of specific risk. And we've gotta document that we warned them of the specific risk. Um, heart rate's up, blood pressure's down, uh, patient has a cough, you know, and they, they're awake and alert, but you think, man, I, this could be a, a pneumonia, a septic, you know, a sepsis, early, early sepsis, sepsis situation. You could have an infection, man, you know, the risk or pneumonia, respiratory failure, even death. And you wanna document that sentence basically in your chart. From an MCHD specific standpoint, if you need to console up the, up the chain for a difficult refusal, we have mechanisms in place. That's right, we're We were talking
1: for. about that. Sometimes when you just call this mysterious person on the other end of the radio or the phone, either a chief or the doc or someone else who absolutely tells the patient the exact same thing, and then the patient tells you, okay, I'll go. You know, sometimes it's just, that, isn't it? That, it's the mysterious, like, uh, person on the other end of the phone that's all knowing that, boy, I guess if the if the chief's going to call and talk to me, I should go. Or if the doc's going to talk to me, I should go. So sometimes that'll work. And, and as we've said many times here, always be a patient advocate, right? We're on the side of the patient. I, I approach it that way every time. I'm never adversarial with them. I say, you know, we, we work for you if you feel like you want to change your mind or, or you need us back we're here 24-7 police calls back
0: yeah, and here here at mchd we have medics out there have the ability to reach dr dixon and i 24 7 and high risk refusals or high risk uh fall situations refusals can be can be one of the or if not the most high risk situation that we have so this is not one where either of us ever mind to get those phone calls now that's going to be how you guys and gals out there consult up the ladder within your own service is going to be service specific but to all you mchd medics out there listening these these are not calls that i mind getting really at any time if if you need to bounce it off someone or put them on speaker and let us talk to them i've done that before as well consider cps and aps always if if you're concerned and you think there's a concern there uh, don't don't ever don't ever ignore or, or or forget that fact i mean just just know that you know again these are these you know the two questions that we asked, the fall may not be a big deal. The patient may be fine after the fall. The reason they may need transport and may need workup is the reason behind the fall. So a good place to start a wrap up. Always ask the two questions that we talked about to start. First off, is there an injury from the fall? Secondly, and oftentimes more importantly, is there a reason behind why they fell? Um, Remember those high-risk factors that Dr. Dixon talked about. You know, think about the living situation, elderly, frail frail folks that live alone. The next fall may be a hip fracture, ICH. blood thinners, antiplatelets, alcohol, substance abuse. Uh, Alcohol intoxication hides brain bleeds is, uh, is something that I was taught and I think really holds true. Pregnant patients, domestic, child, elder abuse, and again, abnormal vitals. Do a thorough trauma assessment. Examine the patient neurovascularly. You know, check pulses check sensation motor function uh, capillary refill and think about why syncope seizure arrhythmia bleeding dehydration sepsis posterior stroke uh, just some of the big big categories to remember if you remember nothing else every syncope amnestic fall gave out or quote, just unquote, not sure just not Gets sure Get an EKG get an <laughs> EKG get an EKG and when you document refusals Again, assess the capacity and also document the specific risks that were advised to the patient. Because as much as I hate to say it, if it's not in black and white, it what? Did
1: not happen. Did not happen. Did not happen.
0: So hopefully that gives you guys a little framework to approach the very common uh, everyday complaint that we get. And that's the dreaded fall. If you have questions or comments, please email us at the podcast email. Thanks again uh, to Andy for Manning the Boards. And we'll be back to talk to you guys again soon.